Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flyworld Nation community, go to flyworldnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. like your listeners to really understand what their agency is in impacting their lives in a different way. So that may mean for them being able to get in touch with their dreams, being able to protect their dreams, or being able to recognize that if a toxic work environment or toxic boss is limiting them, that they have options and opportunities to change. And so agency is the key takeaway. How do you increase and acknowledge your agency in a challenging environment. It's not to say that mm. there won't be barriers and obstacles, but how do we help you to cultivate the agency that you deserve to live the type of life you deserve? Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast today as a returning guest, Dr. Richard Orbe Austin a renowned psychologist known for his work and research on imposter syndrome. His work has focused on helping individuals who are high achieving but constantly feel like frauds. He has highlighted how most people, over 70% in fact, experience some level of imposter feelings during some stage of their lives. And yet, many do not know or understand this phenomenon. He's also co-founder and partner of Dynamic Transitions Psychological Consulting, a career and executive coaching consultancy. Richard is also the co-author of the recently published book, Own Your Greatness, Overcome Imposter Syndrome, Beat Self-Doubt and Succeed in Life, which he co-authored with his partner, Dr. Lisa Orbe-Austin. The goal of the book is to provide a systematic formula to eliminate imposter syndrome and to assist readers to own their talents and power in order to fully realise their goals and to lead a more balanced life. Now here's where the ad goes. It's a word from Flywheel Nation, our sponsor. You're doing great in business. But do you ever have the feeling that you're missing out on a game-changing connection or insight? No, I don't mean imposter syndrome here. I mean something that can really propel you forward. You're thinking, somebody must know the answer to this question. Well, supercharge your success with Flywell Nation. Tap into the collective wisdom of high-impact achievers, gain exclusive access to resources, and expand your network in our vibrant community that includes many of our podcast guests. Experience accelerated growth, breakthrough insights, and powerful connections to elevate your business. Act now, secure your spot, and transform your journey today. Go to innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel to join. In our conversation, Richard talked to me about overcoming limiting beliefs to achieve our dreams. We talked about injecting joy into our journey and setting boundaries to protect our dreams. And we talked about the need to celebrate our achievements and to practice self-care to avoid burnout and imposter syndrome. Without further ado, then let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Dr. Richard Orbay Austin. Hi, 
Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome back to the InnovaBuzz podcast today, all the way from New York in the USA, Dr. Richard Orbe Austin, who's co-author of the books Own Your Greatness and Your Unstoppable Greatness. Welcome back to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Richard. It's a real privilege to chat with you again. It's so exciting to be back, Jürgen. I'm so excited to really have this chat with you today. Yeah, now we had a fascinating conversation last time on episode 337 about all things imposter syndrome and how we can quieten down those voices in our heads that keep telling us that we're not good enough. <laughs> and um, since then, you and your wife have followed your, your first book, Own Your Greatness, and, and published a second book, Your Unstoppable Greatness. So I'm really keen to dig into that a little bit more with you and, and find out what's different about the new book and what what new insights you've um, incorporated there. But before we do that, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Richard? I hope the impact I'm making is helping people break free from imposter syndrome and to live their best lives. That part of the way that we talk about on your greatness is really helping people tap into their full potential and to really actualize all their dreams. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And just, for those people that may not have yet listened to the first episode or, or my many other conversations with people where I bring up imposter syndrome all the time because it's one thing I suffer from and uh, have to deal with, uh, I think we all do. So just give us a bit of a definition, your understanding of imposter syndrome and do we all suffer from it to some extent or is it something that only afflict a few people? Great question. So imposter syndrome was actually coined over 40 years ago by two psychologists, Clancy and Imes, when they were working with a cohort of female graduate students and faculty members. And what they noticed was that even though these individuals were high achieving, they felt consistently like frauds, that they felt like they'd be found out for not being smart enough, not being competent enough. And so Clancy and Imes coined the term imposter syndrome to talk about this concept wherein Typically, high-achieving people feel like a fraud, constantly feel exposed and afraid of being fully exposed as, as incompetent, not smart enough. They totally dismiss any positive feedback. They believe any of their success is based on luck or a relationship. To your point, over 70% of people typically will experience some level of imposter feelings during some stage of their lives. Research consistently shows that that number is about 70%. So there's a fair number of people who experience it. Part of the challenge is that many people don't know and understand that it is actually a phenomenon. And they oftentimes suffer in silence because they feel a bit embarrassed or ashamed because on the outside looking in, they're very successful, but these anxiety feelings around feeling like a fraud cause them to shut down and not talk about it. Hmm. And, and one of the things... Some people may feel I don't suffer from imposter syndrome, but one of the things I notice quite often, and maybe I'm alert to this now because I've done a lot of work with myself, people will say things like, if I thank them for something, they might say, oh, that was nothing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of like dismissing what little contribution they've made. Now, maybe just a little thing like opening the door for me or it may be something more significant like they've given me a gift or they've given mm -hmm. me something that I didn't know before, which is of value to me because I've learned something new that I can apply somewhere. Uh, and, but by saying that was nothing, they kind of devalue it and they devalue it in their own mind. Is that one of the symptoms of kind of like a little bit of imposter syndrome? Yeah, this is exactly one of the classic examples of, of someone who's dealing with imposter syndrome because saying that it's nothing, dismissing any type of positive feedback or gratitude really speaks to someone who feels uncomfortable with that level of phrase, praise, feels like it's not deserved. And so mm -hmm. they typically will do exactly what you said, try to deflect any type of gratitude or expression of thanks by saying, oh, it's nothing, it wasn't a big deal, or oh, you do the same thing rather than saying simply, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, you can change your mindset almost simply by doing that little change. Mm-hmm. Mm. And somebody, one of my guests said something to me. We, I was just listening to 
the recording the other day talking about public speaking and, and the fear we have of getting on stage. And he had this comment like, you're no big deal could be transformational to somebody else's life in the context of um, public speaking. But I guess if we if we take that approach all around, it's, it changes the conversation that we have with ourselves, doesn't it? Yes, most definitely, because a lot of being able to conquer imposter syndrome is shifting mindset, changing the narrative that we tell ourselves about ourselves and really looking ourselves in a different way when we approach the world and when we're in the world. Great. All right. Well, having set the scene for imposter syndrome, what, what's new about uh, what's new in the book, Your Unstoppable Greatness, that wasn't in, in your earlier book and that perhaps we didn't cover in our last conversation? Sure. So Your Unstoppable Greatness is actually a response to something that happened after the success of Own Your Greatness. As we work with people through different master classes and going through different talks, we noticed that people were able to follow the model from the first book to conquer their imposter syndrome. But then something troubling started to happen that even though they felt more confident, they felt that they were able to defeat their imposter syndrome, they still felt stuck in particular toxic type of work environments, dealing with toxic bosses. They did not know how to really look at and access their dreams. They spent so much time just trying to guard against their imposter syndrome that they never had an opportunity to think about their dreams, to pursue their dreams. And so we wrote Your Unstoppable Greatness to really speak to two things. One, to help people now who have conquered their imposter syndrome really be able to think about what their actual dreams are, how to protect those dreams by setting up appropriate boundaries for yourself when you're at work or in other places, and to help them to understand how to manage and identify toxic workplaces in order for them to either shift that culture or to transition from it. And so we follow again another model here where we go through a workbook format to help people to identify their dreams, pursue their dreams, think about how they will protect it, identify the elements of their workplaces that may be toxic and set up a plan as to how to address it so that at the end, they're able to really think about what healthy leadership looks like, what healthy work environments look like, and how much systems impact imposter syndrome. Because in essence, the first book was about the individual effort to overcome imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. The second book now is talking about how to deal with the systems that sustain imposter syndrome. Okay, yeah, I understand. And I, I really like the way the book is laid out with, as you described, uh, it's a workbook rather than just reading theory, although you do cover mm -hmm. a lot of theory in there, but then it follows up with a workbook. And, and I like the way it's designed that there's a lot of self-reflection involved in the exercises in the workbook, which I think is, is really critical to address this. Um, you talk about a toxic environment, um, toxic work environment. Now, I imagine that as, um, a boss that's making life difficult for you or, or um, suffering discrimination in the workplace or, um, yeah, the bad, bad relationships between mm -hmm. co-workers. It, is, is it limited to that or is there more? Because th those kind of things we can all recognize because we suffer from them from time to time. But... Is it deeper than that? Is there more than that that, that maybe is insidious and not rec not immediately recognized? Yeah, and, and this is a wonderful question. And the, the U.S. Surgeon General actually released a report recently about toxic workplaces and identified some major components of, of toxic workplaces. One, uh, workers feeling disrespected in a variety of different ways, you know, people not honoring their boundaries, giving them work projects and having them be accessible 24-7 unethical behavior. As you talked about, you know, a, a neglect of diversity, equity, inclusion concerns, so discrimination, sexism, racism. So it's expansive in a way of all the different elements that make an employee feel like they are either under duress, they're being mistreated, they're being treated unfairly. Uh, they have a boss that really does not rate them adequately or not rate them at all. All those elements 
really cons- you know consist of a toxic work environment. Hmm. All right, and there's a lot there that is, if I'm in in that sort of environment, is outside of my control. So, what what do you suggest that the individual who finds themselves facing an environment that has a lot of those elements in it that they do? I mean, it, obviously they can take the bold move and say, this is not for me, walk mm-hmm. away, go find another job. But what can they do to, within that system, within that environment? Uh, what steps can they take that, that might implement or bring about some positive change? Well, one of the key things to be able to do is to really ally with your coworkers. That oftentimes in toxic work environments, workers are not necessarily unified. And so they feel like they are targeted individually and feel like they have no power if they have a toxic boss that may be bullying them. They feel like they're the only one going through it. They don't talk to their coworkers about it. They do not try to have opportunities to say, what can we do collectively to shift the environment and the culture? Because when we talk about a system, the system is composed of individuals. And so one of the things we first and foremost talk about is how do you look for allies? How do you then talk about what needs to be changed in the system? Who are the people that can actually facilitate that change? How do you gain access to some of these power brokers or decision makers to really talk through some of the issues that you feel are causing the toxicity in the workplace? Hmm. Yeah, that's a a good point to um, it's sometimes People get so down that I think uh, it's only me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, re- I remember when I was a very young man and I didn't know a lot of this stuff, but I had a mm-hmm. toxic boss that was making life difficult for me and, and I had the opportunity to go to the director of the department uh, because I was working on a significant project that he had a personal interest in. And because I was making some significant progress, that gave me a whole lot of brownie points, if you like, in <laughs> in his eyes. And so I was able to actually talk to him about my concerns with mm. my direct boss, and that helped a lot. Uh, I always felt uncomfortable, though, in a way that I was going kind of over he- over my boss's head, and I thought, well, I was contributing to that um, conflicting situation. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, sometimes it can feel like that is your only recourse, right? And that's why, again, if you do it as a group rather than just as an individual, it feels like there's more power to that. Because if it's just Jurgen going over the boss's head, then again, you can be retaliated against or you can be viewed as not following the chain of command. But if that person is not responsive to some of the concerns or, or will target you, it's easier and better to do it in a, in a group setting for you to then be able to say, well, here are some of our concerns and we'd love to be able to talk through with the identified, you know, toxic person, but we didn't feel safe enough to do that. So that's why we've come to you. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So talking to, talking to others and sharing your concerns with coworkers is probably a really good first step. Yeah, you said something critical, which is this notion of agency. There are so many employees that and workers feel like they have no agency. They have no power in changing their conditions. And, and the reason that we feel so strongly about writing this book is to help people to understand that they do have power. Mm-hmm. Even if we see all these layoffs happening globally, even if we see the economy tightening, there will be opportunities and options for you that you should never feel stuck. And that is something that we're very passionate about when we talk about your unstoppable greatness. Hmm. Yes, exploring all options. That's a really important point. One of the things you mentioned earlier as well, and and I think it's the subtitle of the book, is um, protecting your dreams or reimagining your dreams. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly we find ourselves in such a really toxic environment and we're, we're feeling a bit helpless, then we kind of think, well, maybe I just, maybe that dream's too ambitious. Maybe that's not for me or whatever. How can we look at our dreams? And I mean, obviously we can change them if we choose to, but it's because we want to, because we've got a different dream or because things have changed 
for us rather than it's being imposed on us? How can we protect the dreams that we have that we do, we really want to pursue? Sure. So I think the first thing we need to do is to target some of what the limiting beliefs are in terms of you being able to achieve that dream. And so oftentimes we all have limiting beliefs that do not prevent us from even pursuing the dream. So that may be, oh, I'm, I'm, it's too old for me to change careers now, or I don't have the skill set to really be able to do that, or no one will take me seriously if I try to become an entrepreneur at this stage. Really understanding, well, what are the limiting beliefs that are keeping me from actually engaging with the dream is the first process and part of being able to say, well, this is a legitimate dream that I have. These limiting beliefs, I need to target to really remove them as a barrier. And then you need to talk about the dream. I think oftentimes people say, well, I don't want to talk about, you know, my big goals until I've achieved them. But I think talking about them with people, one, allows you to gain support in pursuing it. And then two, it allows you to now make it public. So there's a certain level of accountability for you to actually continue down that path of pursuing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great point. Speaking to people and speaking it out. And I know I've suffered from this in the past where I've, being, oh, I'm too embarrassed to share that because what if it doesn't work? And right, and yet, right, and, yet, and often you find yourself then in the situation. Well, I've got to take the first step to on the path to this dream, and you you kind of keep procrastinating about that first step. Whereas if you share it with somebody else, I have this dream, I want to do this, then every conversation you have with those people that you've shared that with, they'll say, Well, how's that going? And, it's then embarrassing to say, well, I haven't even taken the first step yet. So you end up taking the first step. Yeah, and there's no shame in that, right? Like I think we're none of us are perfect. There are a lot of things that get in our way in terms of our lives. But being able to say that I have this dream, it's very powerful as a motivating mm-hmm. factor. And as you said, you can reserve the right to change the dream. But I think mm-hmm. oftentimes we let ourselves be shut down by embarrassment and shame if we've not done the thing initially that we said we were going to do, because we then feel like people will think we're not serious, we're flaky, we're, we're just pie in the sky. And the reality is dreams are so important for us all to have. And that becomes the concern when you know you ask someone, well, what are your dreams? And they look at you blankly like, I'm just trying to survive, right? Yeah. And, and when you have imposter syndrome or when you're in a toxic work environment, that is your reality. You have no room to even dream. All you're thinking about is trying to keep your head above water, trying to survive, trying to make it through each day. And that is no way to really live. And I think we all mm-hmm. want to be able to have and deserve to have dreams. Well, that's, uh, that's I've never actually considered it in that light. I, I recall a time we did um, some training around goal setting with a, a group of people once and, the, and what we start off with is you know what goals do you have let's let's write down the goal first and then we kind of went through a process of how do you make that really compelling and how do you kind of set it up in a way that is so motivating that that you can't help but succeed and i remember one occasion somebody said i don't have any goals Mm. and i was i was so shocked and i i didn't actually know how to respond to this and (laughs) I, i tried to break it down and said well uh, what about something really simple like do you want to get up tomorrow morning and enjoy the sunrise? Because <laughs> that's a goal, right? right? And, right. Uh, uh, but maybe it comes back to imposter syndrome. Maybe the, something was happening for that person that, um, yeah, they were in survival mode. Yeah, and, and it's interesting to me because sometimes people will say, well, I don't want to set any goals because I never achieved them. <laughs> uh, and so some of what we talk about to your point is, well, are the goals that you're setting actually realistic and fair, right? Are they mm-hmm. these smart goals? Are you saying things that are not actually tangible enough for you to reach so you set yourself up for failure? Or is it that, you know, as you said, imposter syndrome is shutting you down to even imagine having any particular goal? And so some of it is trying to sort that out and to differentiate that. Like, how much is it the imposter syndrome? How much is it that you're not being fair in terms of the goals you're trying to to develop for yourself so that you don't have this narrative that if I set a goal, I'm never going to achieve it. So Mm. I don't set any goals at all. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a really important point. And often 
it helps to reframe things and and one of the things I talk about a bit in terms of habits, building habits, and where people say, oh, I find it really hard to build a habit. And I say, well, do you go to bed on time every day? Um, most people say, well, yeah, nine times out of ten. And do you brush your teeth in the morning? Do you brush your teeth at <laughs> night? Well, yeah, because <laughs> I want to keep keep my teeth right. healthy. Well, that's a habit, right? <laughs> you've, mm-hmm. built that. you've built that habit because there was a reason why you built that. So we're we're actually really good at building habits, all of us. <laughs> right. And, and, and I think for, you, for, right. Mm-hmm. I think, and in, in you pointing that out is exactly the way that, you know, when I work with clients, I say the same thing, right? That mm-hmm. those habits are now automatic. The brushing of the teeth, the going to bed at that time, or waking at a, at a particular time. You can do it. There is evidence that you can build new habits. It will take time and commitment, but over time, it will then become just as automatic as brushing your teeth. Hmm. Great. All right. I, um, a couple of other things I wanted to explore that came out of the book, and one was the self-care, and you talk about caring our inner child, which is a mm-hmm. fascinating term, and I, I've heard that said in, in many occasions. But but the idea of self-care in terms of this dialogue that we have with ourselves if we find ourselves in unpleasant situations in a toxic work environment or something else that that's kind of got us questioning do i have the ability to achieve this dream that i have uh, how do we or what are some of the steps that we can take to practice that self-care and and be more relaxed about that and and rather than stress out about those situations actually step back and say okay what do i need to do in this situation to bring about the best for me, first of all, and perhaps, you know, how do I engage other people and enroll other people in this? Sure. So that that term, inner child, we use very intentionally. And when we talk about that, we say that we all hold that young person who, at a particular stage of our lives, carried all the pain, carried all the hurt, carried all the joys and the the excitement that we weren't able to really fully process because we didn't have the tools to. And so all of us carry certain elements of that in a particular way. One of the things that may, though, happen when you're carrying around some of those inner child thoughts is this notion that you don't deserve self-care, that the way for you to function and survive in the world is to just work hard and to work even harder uh, rather than saying, I need a moment to actually take care of myself. So self-care is viewed as self-indulgent, not necessarily as something that is healthy. And so first and foremost, it's really shifting your mindset around what self-care means. Uh, Ultimately, it is essential in your success and your satisfaction. So once you do that, then it's to the point that we made about habit formation, understanding what really works for you relative to self-care for some people, it's getting, you know, nine hours of sleep. For others, it's taking a vacation. For others, it's meditating. For others, it's exercise. But integrating it into your routine, having an accountability partner where you say, I'm trying to develop these new routines and, and habits around self-care. And so I want you to check in with me maybe once a week, text, call, email, whatever it may be to see how I'm doing on that. And that that person that you choose as an accountability partner is someone that you will respect, that you won't just blow off and say, oh, get off my back. I don't really, <laughs> you know, I can't work on this right now. I'm too busy. Uh, and that they can give you feedback that, you know, will come from a place of caring, not a place of damage or, or you know, threat. And so that, I think, is what's most critical of, of really shifting the mindset around self-care, gaining support to be mm-hmm. able to integrate a new routine around it. Yeah, that's that's really important. Enlisting somebody that can encourage you and that, that you actually respect. And I guess part of that is the encouragement. Did you do that as as a voice where you feel, oh, well, no, I didn't. And and it's almost <laughs> like uh, a what no wrap over the knuckles, as opposed to how's that going. In, in right. a positive sense and, and encouraging and, oh, I, d- I didn't actually do my exercise this morning. Well, that's okay. You'll get to it tomorrow. Perfect. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly in that way. 
And the other thing that I talk about with self-care now, especially within the organizational context, is that it's a responsibility for the company and the organization as a whole. I, I've done mm -hmm. so many talks from the beginning of the pandemic up to now where companies will say, well, let's talk about self-care. How do I get my you know, individual employees to really focus in on their self-care? And initially it was, you know, again, some of the similar strategies I talked about, meditating. But I realized that if the system did not create space for self-care, then people would not have the opportunity to do it. Then I remember doing a talk recently when someone said, I'm too tired for self-care. My work has burned me out. I can't even think about self-care. Uh, and so it resonated for me in that aha moment of, how am I working with organizations to say that self-care is an organizational responsibility as well? How are you creating structures to enable individuals to have that opportunity to not feel ashamed of taking a vacation, to not feel like something is wrong if they decide to take a meditation class in the middle of the day during their lunch break and then come back for a meeting? That's what we're trying to to change as well. The, the cultural norms around self care. Mm. Yeah, that that's a really important thing, isn't it? The organisations really, um, and and the benefit to the organisation is that you avoid that burnout that you talked mm -hmm. about. Because I think there's a lot of conversations today happening, certainly in the online world, about people suffering burnout, and, and mm -hmm. that can't be good for productivity. It's obviously not good for the person. No, hmm. not at all. And I yeah. think that yeah. this issue of burnout comes up so much in the same particular manner of how do I help my employees avert, avert you know, avoid burnout? And the reality is, how do you create an environment that reduces or prevents burnout? The reason companies are asking me to come in and talk about burnout is because they want their employees to not be burnt out to have them work more. <laughs> right. Which yeah, is not the thing that paradox. you want. You want to say, how do you help them to recover and construct a culture that doesn't chronically burn them out? Like mm -hmm. that is the goal that they can be productive and take breaks, that they can actually yeah. be more productive if they take a vacation. Yeah, they can be right. more yeah, productive right. if they take breaks. The research time and again shows that. Uh, but especially and in American culture, this notion of like grind, 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 work, 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 take no vacation as some means of saying it's heroic and it shows that you're really committed is just misaligned with this reality of really wanting people to be productive. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's the fallacy of that, isn't it? It's the if people are, if we can get people to their maximum productivity, they can probably do what they're currently doing in far less time. And mm -hmm. so giving them more free time to do the right things, taking care of themselves or, or setting up environments where people can exercise at lunchtime if they choose to or, or do other activities at lunchtime, which is kind of self, into that self-care bucket that you mentioned, um, mm -hmm. that, that whilst that, takes time out of the nominal eight-hour day, it actually ends up making people a lot more productive in the one hour less, perhaps, that they, they'll work in the afternoon. Yes, most definitely. Hmm. And that's what we're always trying to, to change. It's ultimately really thinking about it as how do we change the workplace? How do we create a much more expansive notion of how to protect people's time and energy? Yeah, yeah, wonderful. One of the other things you talk about in the book, and I've, I think I've heard you say this on a podcast as well, intentionally celebrating you. So the the idea of finding and enjoying joy. And I was having a conversation with uh, a, a podcast guest recently where finding joy in even the seemingly unenjoyable came up as a, as a recommendation. And I thought that's that's actually really great. That was Brent Freeman and... <laughs> um, if you want to check that out. But yeah, tell us, talk to us a little bit more about this idea of intentionally celebrating you. Mm. Yeah, and and we put this in because we recognize that when people have imposter syndrome, the only thing they're thinking about is the next project, the next thing to do to protect their exposure from <laughs> being a fraud. So ultimately, if they do a project, it goes well, rather than celebrate, they say, okay, whew, 
that was over. Now I have to think about the next project and worry about that. Rather than taking the time to say, you know what, that was a great job. Let me take the time to celebrate that. Let me find joy in that. There is so much particular challenges, especially during these last three years of pandemic, where there's a lot of pain and trauma and, you know, inability to really be hopeful. And so injecting joy in that moment of like light is so critical to not only keeping you motivated, but keeping you optimistic about what's to come. And so we're always thinking about possibilities and keeping people feeling that there is so much more out there for them and really helping them to think about their possibilities. And so I just actually just came back from a trip from Mexico with my family. And one of the things we do as a tradition is any of our birthdays. So I have two little girls and my wife and I uh, went to Mexico. It was my youngest daughter's 11th birthday. And so she really wanted to make sure that she had an opportunity to celebrate as we typically often do. Uh, and so we went to Mexico, we celebrated it. And, and so she's learning that there are these moments that you really want to be able to take that moment to say, hey, this is a great time to be around the people I care about, to really reflect upon, you know, the last year and to, to really enjoy time together. Hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a really important point there is some people say, I don't want to make a big fuss of my birthday or or, mm-hmm. or other significant events in their life. Um, and, and that's fine if they choose not to have uh, like a big celebration and maybe right. it's a small family celebration, but just to take a moment to, to reflect on that and say, well, today's my birthday. So another year I've what have I done in right. that year? And, yeah. and yes. sometimes that can bring up a whole lot of really positive things. And you talked about celebrating at the end of the project. I think it's also mm-hmm. important to kind of so- find joy in the things along the way because it's, it, yes, there's an objective at the end of that project, an outcome that you're aiming for, but there's also milestones along the way. And even mm-hmm. if it's just, I've learned something new. Yeah, and one of the things that we oftentimes talk about, and I talk about uh, specifically with clients, is this notion of perfectionism. That when you're dealing with imposter syndrome and you tend to be perfectionistic, even if the project went well, you're picking out the things that, you know, for some reason or another did not go perfectly, right? And so you're not able to celebrate because you said, oh, that slide had a typo on it or, or that particular yeah. report, you know, missed this particular number. Rather than looking at the totality of it and saying, overall, it was a good job. Like, how do you hold on to that and not let the perfectionism consume you? So that's Mm -hmm. another piece of what we talk about in this book, that people hold on to perfectionism because they feel like that's the reason they're successful, when in reality, it's the thing that's holding them back. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. And and we, um, in, in giving feedback, we always talk about the importance of actually telling people what worked really well, what we liked about what they did, because that's the thing that they should continue to do, right? Often it's like you'd you'd throw the baby out with the bathwater is the expression, I think, when you say, maybe you could change this a little bit. And so they change everything and all the good stuff's gone as well. So focusing in on the good stuff is critical. Yeah, and, and I remember working in a past life in a college career counseling center, and I used to do mock interviews with students, and we would go through the process of, of interviewing. And then the first question I'd ask them is, what did you do well? Hmm. Inevitably, they go right to the things that they did wrong. <laughs> and so I'd have to take a step back and say, no, no, no. I asked, what did you do well? Hmm. Rather than so focused, and, and it's human nature, right, that we look at, 99% of things go well, but that 1% is what we key That's in on. Right. Yeah. But it, it's an important practice to be able to hold on to the things that you've done well. And then we'll get to the other points of mm. what you can do differently or better. But acknowledging that you have done things well is so important in being able to bolster your confidence in a, in a genuine and sincere way. Mm. Yeah. And also take those things that you did <coughs> you did well forward as as lessons as well so next time i have mm-hmm. to do those things next time because that's everybody like that i did that well um and yes i have to change this a little bit but the two 
have to come together if I want to do a better job next time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Well, this is fascinating, Richard. Um, we could go on talking ages about <laughs> imposter syndrome and stuff, but I think that was a nice positive note to transition us into the buzz, which is our innovation round. Now, I know you've done this one before, but yes. <laughs> and in fact, I've got on my other screen, I've got that episode in the show notes. So I'm going <laughs> to check to see what your answers are this time. <laughs> okay. All right. So what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? They need to be able to really allow their creativity to flow. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> so it means that you want to take time to allow yourself to, to think about grand ideas with no filter. That oftentimes to be innovative, you need to really think so much, not necessarily outside the box, like not even think about a box at all, <laughs> that we tend to limit ourselves so much when we're thinking about innovation because we say, well, that's not going to work. This is not going to yeah. work. We filter it down. Letting your creativity flow means I tend to have a practice where I have a journal and I'll sit down on any particular day and just think about things that come to mind. Unfiltered, not letting anything happen, writing them down. I always revisit them and say, oh, that idea is very useful. Let me take some of that as a, as a core idea. But we're so focused on what we believe will be perfect or will work rather than saying, let me just think big. And then we can address some of the other issues of the react, you know, the feasibility mm. of it. But letting your creativity flow means really unfiltered, having grand thoughts about things in ways that allow you to, to get excited about possibilities. That's great. Yeah. So it's just suspending judgment until, until later. Mm hmm. Exactly. Mm. Great. All right. What's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? I've spoken to different people and people who I who are from different professions, different backgrounds. I'm a psychologist. It's always helpful for me to talk to people who are in different industries, whether it's finance, whether it's accounting, whether it's tech. And so it's always amazing for me to hear about how other people may think and how other people generate ideas and how other industries actually practice. And so that always helps me to really think about things that may be applicable to my field and to my work. Hmm. That's great. It's it's always I love it that when you do talk with a whole lot of other people, it, it sometimes for me sparks an idea, and and it's like connecting that dot from way over here, which is that person's field, and I know nothing about, got nothing to do right. with me, but it's kind of sparked something over here in my field. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. All right. Do you have a favorite resource you use most often? The favorite resource that I use most often, oddly enough, is my journal. <laughs> and so when I talk about just giving myself uh, an opportunity and solitude to, to really move forward, that's one resource. I guess the other plug recently that I've used a meditation resource called the, the Core Trainer, Core Meditation Trainer. It's a wonderful tool. It's this little ball that you use to do meditation that's connected to an app that allows you to go through different types of meditative practices. So now I recommend it to all my clients and, and professionals who I never got to be able to meditate before have signed on to it. Uh, mm -hmm. and so it was very exciting to see oh, that. Okay. And, I'll have and to check that one out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with that. All right. Um, now what's the best way to keep a client on track? To keep them accountable by setting some key clear goals that are not overwhelming. And so oftentimes I say, let's set up two to three smart goals and work on that. Uh, and in between sessions, I work with, you know, clients to make sure that they're on track. And so mm -hmm. being able to do that level of homework, if you will, enables yeah. them yeah. to have an, a, a built in accountability practice to know that once we meet, we'll do a follow up to see what was successful? What were some of the barriers to getting you towards your goal? Not again in a punitive way, but in a way of saying, how do, can I support you to approach it differently? Mm -hmm. So very positive and reinforcing, but key is breaking down the big audacious goals maybe into smaller ones and then regular check-ins. Hmm. Excellent. All right. What's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? To, to not be afraid to really stand out from anyone else. That oftentimes we live in a society 
that when we talk about differentiation, we see so much on social media that people want to emulate. Uh, and I think oftentimes taking risks to do something that is not aligned with everything else that you see out there, I think is the most critical piece of this that oftentimes we feel shut down and say, oh, no one's ever tried that or no one's ever done that. So I'm not going to be the first. Uh, but thinking about how exciting it may be for you to be the first to not be afraid to fail around, right? That this growth mindset that I oftentimes talk about of looking at every experience as a learning opportunity, not as a test of whether or not you're competent or good enough. When you have imposter syndrome, you're always looking for signs in the environment that you're not competent or you're not good enough. Hmm. But when you have a growth mindset, you say, okay, how do I differentiate myself? What do I see out there that no one else is doing? How do I take this risk and not necessarily let the fear stop me uh, and to try things out? And I think that's what's always been exciting around our, you know, my business with my partner, that we're always trying different ideas or different approaches. Some work, some don't, uh, mm -hmm. but we learn from each particular initiative or attempt. Yeah, yeah, that's a really important point. I love that approach. And it, it does require to address that imposter syndrome because that's kind of the big thing there that's okay i mm -hmm. want to stand out i want to do this big different thing um simply because i believe in it or something and then you've got right. to you've got to put the imposter syndrome aside don't you and yes. i like the whole learning approach is either you like you you never make a mistake it's you either succeed or you learn I, mm -hmm. I can't remember who said that but it's I think it's a famous quote. Mm-hmm, definitely. Hmm. All right, great. Well, thanks for getting us through the buzz again, Richard. Now, I haven't checked the notes. So we'll, we can leave that to, <laughs> I hope I never beat myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of value in that this time as well. All right. Now, where can people find out more about you and the work you do and also get a hold of your books and maybe even get in touch and say thanks for what you shared with us today? Sure. So they can go to my website, dynamictransitionsllp.com uh, to find out more about my work, to find out about the books. The books can be purchased at any major booksellers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I'm very active on social media, Instagram, especially at Dr. Rich Orbe Austin. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Dr. Rich Orbe Austin, where I also talk about these issues related to imposter syndrome, toxic workplaces, leadership development, uh, as well as being able to take good care of yourself. Excellent. We'll post those links in the show notes, of course. Now, what action would you like our listener to take out of our conversation today, Richard? I'd like your listeners to really understand what their agency is in impacting their lives in a different way. So that may mean for them being able to get in touch with their dreams, being able to protect their dreams, or being able to recognize that if a toxic work environment or toxic boss is limiting them, that they have options and opportunities to change. And so agency is the, the key takeaway. Like, how do you increase and acknowledge your agency uh, in a challenging environment? It's not to say that mm -hmm. there won't be barriers and obstacles, but how do we help you to cultivate the agency that you deserve to live the type of life you deserve? Yeah, yeah, that's a wonderful call to action. And something that a quote i read recently i thought is it's sort of humorous but fascinating and to reflect on in terms of if if you're thinking about imposter syndrome and it's it uh, goes something like this i'm not sure i've got it exactly right but if you think you're too small to make an impact try going to bed with a mosquito in the room <laughs> yeah i've heard that that's great yeah. <laughs> I love that. All right. Well, thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights so generously with us today, Richard. And, and I really appreciate Dick being able to dig into the book a little bit more and some of the new ideas in your unstoppable greatness today. And, and I've really enjoyed our conversation. So please do stay in touch and let me know when the next book comes out. <laughs> I most definitely was always a pleasure, Jurgen, to, to kind of engage and connect with you. Thank you for having me.
I hope you enjoyed that really engaging, insightful and such an informative conversation with Richard and most importantly took something away from his episode. What a great episode, right? Now Richard wants you to know that you have the power to impact your life in a powerful way. This means getting in touch with your dreams, protecting them and recognising that you have the agency to change any toxic work environments or bosses, in fact, any toxic environment that may be limiting you. The key takeaway here is to cultivate the agency that you deserve so you can live the kind of life you want. So go out there and get it. Richard's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Richard Orbe Austin 570. That is R-I-C-H-A-R-D-O-R-B-E-A-U-S-T-I-N, the numbers 570. All lowercase, all one word, no spaces, innovabiz.co forward slash Richard Orbe Austin 570. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Richard, as well as links to the Dynamic Transition website, to his books, Own Your Greatness, Overcome Imposter Syndrome, and also Your Unstoppable Greatness, Break Free from Imposter Syndrome, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Now, I'm so glad you're still listening to the show, and I'm sure you've loved this conversation. I mean, what's not to love about it? Here's the thing. This must be useful to one other person you know, if not a whole range of other people you know. So be brave enough to share this conversation with that one other person. Take a step to overcoming imposter syndrome and having the belief that, no, if I share this with somebody else, they'll think badly of me. Quite to the contrary. They will thank you for it. Also, make sure to get the episode bookmark token at innovabiz.co forward slash bookmarks. For the cost of just a cup of coffee or even less, you can have your very own permanent record of this conversation. 50% of the revenue from the episode will go directly to Richard and the other 50% goes towards supporting the show and keeping the lights on here at InnovaBuzz. Think of it as a way to support Richard and tell him that you really loved his episode. Richard suggested that we have a conversation with psychologist and wellness speaker, Dr. Cicely Horsham Braithwaite, on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Cicely, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Dr. Richard Orbay Austin. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Remember to visit innovabiz.co forward slash Flywheel and secure your membership to the exclusive Flywheel Nation community where you'll enjoy direct access to our incredible podcast guests engaging meaningful conversations and participate in connection events designed to elevate your business journey. Don't miss out. Join Flywell Nation today. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from Innova Biz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.